Book One, Chapter Two of Michael Strogoff, Courier of the Tsar. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne, Book One, Chapter Two: Russians and Tartars. The Tsar had not so suddenly left the ballroom of the new palace when the fate he was giving to the civil and military authorities and principal people of moscow was at the height of its brilliancy without ample cause for he had just received information that serious events were taking place beyond the frontiers of the ural it had become evident that a formidable rebellion threatened to wrest the siberian provinces from the russian crown asiatic russia or siberia covers a superficial area of one million seven hundred ninety thousand two hundred eight square miles and contains nearly two millions of inhabitants extending from the ural mountains which separate it from russia in europe to the shores of the pacific ocean it is bounded on the south by turkestan and the chinese empire on the north by the arctic ocean from the sea of kara to bering's straits it is divided into several governments or provinces those of Tobolsk, Yeniseysk, Irkutsk, Omsk, and Yakutsk, contains two districts, Okotsk and Kamchatka, and possesses two countries, now under the Muscovite dominion, that of the Kyrgyz and that of the Chukchis. This immense extent of steppes, which includes more than 110 degrees from west to east, is a land to which criminals and political offenders are banished two governor-generals represent the supreme authority of the czar over this vast country the higher one resides at irkutsk the far capital of eastern siberia the river chuna separates the two siberias no rail yet furrows these wide plains some of which are in reality extremely fertile no iron ways lead from those precious mines which make the siberian soil far richer below than above its surface the traveller journeys in summer in a kibik or telga, in winter in a sledge. An electric telegraph, with a single wire more than 8,000 versts in length, alone affords communication between the western and eastern frontiers of Siberia. On issuing from the Ural, it passes through Ekaterinburg, Kasernov, Tyumen, Ishim, Omsk, Ilamsk, Kolivan, Tomsk, Krasnoyarsk, Nizhny Udinsk, Irkutsk, Verkne Nertschink, Strelink, Albazin, Blagavstinks, Rade, Orlomskaya, Alexandrovsky, and Nikolaevsk, and six rubles and nineteen kopecks are paid for every word sent from one end to the other. From Irkutsk there is a branch to Kiatka, on the Mongolian frontier, and from thence, for thirty kopecks a word, the post conveys the dispatches to Peking in a fortnight. It was this wire, extending from Ekaterinburg to Nikolaevsk, which had been cut, first beyond Tomsk, and then between Tomsk and Kolivan. This was why the Tsar, to the communication made to him for the second time by General Kissoff, had answered by the words, A courier this moment! The Tsar remained motionless at the window for a few moments, when the door was again opened. The chief of police appeared on the threshold. "'Enter, General,' said the Tsar briefly, "'and tell me all you know of Ivan Ogorev.' "'He is an extremely dangerous man, sire,' replied the chief of police. "'He ranked as colonel, did he not?' 
yes sire was he an intelligent officer very intelligent but a man whose spirit it was impossible to subdue and possessing an ambition which stopped at nothing he became involved in secret intrigues and was degraded from his rank by his highness the grand duke and exiled to siberia how long ago was that two years since pardoned after six months of exile by your majesty's favor he returned to russia and since that time has he not revisited siberia yes sire but he voluntarily returned there replied the chief of police adding and slightly lowering his voice there was a time sire when none returned from siberia well whilst i live siberia is and shall be a country whence men can return the czar had the right to utter these words with some pride for often by his clemency he had shown that russian justice knew how to pardon the head of the police did not reply to this observation but it was evident that he did not approve of such half-measures according to his idea a man who had once passed the ural mountains in charge of policemen ought never again to cross them now it was not thus under the new reign and the chief of police sincerely deplored it what no banishment for life for other crimes than those against social order what political exiles returning from tobolsk from yakutsk from irkutsk in truth the chief of police accustomed to the despotic sentences of the ukases which formerly never pardoned could not understand this mode of governing but he was silent waiting until the czar should interrogate him further the questions were not long in coming did not ivan ogareff asked the czar return to russia a second time after that journey through the siberian provinces the object of which remains unknown he did and have the police lost trace of him since no sire for an offender only becomes really dangerous from the day he has received his pardon the czar frowned perhaps the chief of police feared that he had gone rather too far though the stubbornness of his ideas was at least equal to the boundless devotion he felt for his master but the czar disdaining to reply to these indirect reproaches cast on his policy continued his questions where was ogareff last heard of in the province of perm in what town at perm itself what was he doing he appeared unoccupied and there was nothing suspicious in his conduct then he was not under the surveillance of the secret police no sire when did he leave perm about the month of march to go where is unknown and it is not known what has become of him no sire it is not known well then i myself know answered the czar i have received anonymous communications which did not pass through the police department and in the face of events now taking place beyond the frontier i have every reason to believe that they are correct do you mean sire cried the chief of police that ivan ogareff has a hand in this tartar rebellion indeed i do and i will now tell you something which you are ignorant of after leaving perm ivan ogareff crossed the ural mountains entered siberia and penetrated the kirghiz steppes and there endeavored not without success to foment rebellion amongst their nomadic population he then went so far south as free turkestan there in the provinces of bokhara kokand and kunduz he found chiefs willing to pour their tartar hordes into siberia and excite a general rising in asiatic russia 
the storm has been silently gathering but it has at last burst like a thunderclap and now all means of communication between eastern and western siberia have stopped moreover ivan ogareff thirsting for vengeance aims at the life of my brother the czar had become excited whilst speaking and now paced up and down with hurried steps the chief of police said nothing, but he thought to himself that, during the time when the emperors of Russia never pardoned an exile, schemes such as those of Ivan Ogareff could never have been realized. Approaching the Tsar, who had thrown himself into an armchair, he asked, uh, "'Your Majesty has of course given orders so that this rebellion may be suppressed as soon as possible?' "'Yes,' answered the Tsar. "'The last telegram which reached Nizhny Udinsk would set in motion the troops in the governments of Yenisei, Irkutsk, Yakutsk, as well as those in the provinces of the Amur and Lake Baikal. At the same time, the regiments from Perm and Nizhny Novgorod, and the Cossacks from the frontier, are advancing by forced marches toward the Ural Mountains. But some weeks must pass before they can attack the Tartars.' and your majesty's brother his highness the grand duke is now isolated in the government of irkutsk and is no longer in direct communication with moscow that is so but by the last dispatches he must know what measures have been taken by your majesty and what help he may expect from the governments nearest irkutsk he knows that answered the czar but what he does not know is that ivan ogareff as well as being a rebel is also playing the part of a traitor and that in him he has a personal and bitter enemy it is to the grand duke that ogareff owes his first disgrace and what is more serious is that this man is not known to him ogareff's plan therefore is to go to irkutsk and under an assumed name offer his services to the grand duke then after gaining his confidence when the tartars have invested irkutsk he will betray the town and with it my brother whose life he seeks this is what i have learned from my secret intelligence this is what the grand duke does not know and this is what he must know well sire an intelligent courageous courier i momentarily expect one and it is to be hoped he will be expeditious added the chief of police for allow me to add sire that siberia is a favorable land for rebellions do you mean to say general that the exiles would make common cause with the rebels exclaimed the czar excuse me your majesty stammered the chief of police for that was really the idea suggested to him by his uneasy and suspicious mind i believe in their patriotism returned the czar there are other offenders besides political exiles in siberia said the chief of police the criminals oh general i give those up to you they are the vilest i grant of the human race they belong to no country but the insurrection or rather the rebellion is not to oppose the emperor it is raised against russia against the country which the exiles have not lost all hope of again seeing and which they will see again no a russian would never unite with a tartar to weaken were it only for an hour the muscovite power the Tsar was right in trusting to the patriotism of those whom his policy kept, for a time, at a distance. Clemency, which was the foundation of his justice, when he could himself direct its effects, the modifications he had adopted with regard to applications for the formerly terrible ukases, warranted the belief that he was not mistaken. 
But even without this powerful element of success in regard to the Tartar rebellion, circumstances were not the less very serious, for it was to be feared that a large part of the Kyrgyz population would join the rebels. The Kyrgyz are divided into three hordes, the greater, the lesser, and the middle, and number nearly four hundred thousand tents, or two million souls. Of the different tribes, some are independent and others recognize either the sovereignty of Russia or that of the Khans of Kiva, Kokand, and Bokhara, the most formidable chiefs of Turkestan. The middle horde, the richest, is also the largest, and its encampments occupy all the space between the rivers Sarasu, Irtish, and the upper Ishim, Lake Saisang, and Lake Aksakal. The greater horde, occupying the countries situated to the east of the middle one, extends as far as the governments of Omsk and Tobolsk. Therefore, if the Kyrgyz population should rise, it would be the rebellion of Asiatic Russia, and the first thing would be the separation of Siberia to the east of the Yenisei. It is true that these Kyrgyz, mere novices in the art of war, are rather nocturnal thieves and plunderers of caravans than regular soldiers. As M. Levchin says, a firm front or a square of good infantry could repel ten times the number of Kyrgyz, and a single cannon might destroy a frightful number. That may be, but to do this it is necessary for the square of good infantry to reach the rebellious country, and the cannon to leave the arsenals of the Russian provinces, perhaps two or three thousand versts distant. Now, except by the direct route from Ekaterinburg to Irkutsk, the often marshy steppes are not easily practicable, and some weeks must certainly pass before the Russian troops could reach the Tartar hordes. Omsk is the center of that military organization of western Siberia which is intended to overawe the Kyrgyz population. Here are the bounds, more than once infringed by the half-subdued nomads, and there was every reason to believe that Omsk was already in danger. The line of military stations, that is to say, those Cossack posts which are ranged in echelon from Omsk to Semipolitinsk, must have been broken in several places. Now it was to be feared that the Grand Sultans, who governed the Kyrgyz districts, would either voluntarily accept, or involuntarily submit to, the dominion of Tartars, Mussulmen like themselves, and that to the hate caused by slavery was not united the hate due to the antagonism of the Greek and Mussulman religions. For some time indeed the Tartars of Turkestan had endeavored, both by force and persuasion, to subdue the Kyrgyz hordes. A few words only with respect to these Tartars. The Tartars belong more especially to two distinct races, the Caucasian and the Mongolian. The Caucasian race, which, as Abel de Remusas says, is regarded in Europe as the type of beauty in our species, because all the nations in this part of the world have sprung from it, includes also the Turks and the Persians. The purely Mongolian race comprises the Mongols, Manchu, and Tibetans. The Tartars, who now threatened the Russian Empire, belonged to the Caucasian race, and occupied Turkestan. This immense country is divided into different states, governed by Khans, and hence termed Khanates. The principal Khanates are those of Bokhara, Kokand, Kunduz, etc. At this period the most important and the most formidable Khanate was that of Bokhara. Russia had already been several times at war with its chiefs, who, for their own interests, 
had supported the independence of the Kyrgyz against the Muscovite dominion. The present chief, Feofar Khan, followed in the steps of his predecessors. The Khanate of Bokhara has a population of 2,500,000 inhabitants, an army of 60,000 men trebled in time of war, and 30,000 horsemen. It is a rich country, with varied animal, vegetable, and mineral products, and has been increased by the accession of the territories of Balkh, Okoy, and Maimane. It possesses nineteen large towns. Bukhara, surrounded by a wall measuring more than eight English miles, and flanked with towers, a glorious city, made illustrious by Avicenna and other learned men of the tenth century, is regarded as the centre of Mussulman science, and ranks among the most celebrated cities of Central Asia. Samarkand, which contains the tomb of Tamerlane and the famous palace where the blue stone is kept, on which each new Khan must seat himself on his accession, is defended by a very strong citadel. Karshi, with its triple cordon, situated in an oasis, surrounded by a marsh peopled with tortoises and lizards, is almost impregnable. Ischargui is defended by a population of twenty thousand souls. Protected by its mountains, and isolated by its steppes, the Khanate of Bokhara is a most formidable state, and Russia would need a large force to subdue it. The fierce and ambitious Feofar now governed this corner of Tartary. Relying on the other Khans, principally those of Kokand and Kunduz, cruel and rapacious warriors, all ready to join an enterprise so dear to Tartar instincts, aided by the chiefs who ruled all the hordes of Central Asia, he had placed himself at the head of the rebellion of which Ivan Ogareff was the instigator. This traitor, impelled by insane ambition as much as by hate, had ordered the movement so as to attack Siberia. Mad indeed he was if he hoped to rupture the Muscovite Empire. Acting under his suggestion, the emir, which is the title taken by the Khans of Bokhara, had poured his hordes over the Russian frontier. He invaded the government of Semipolitinsk, and the Cossacks, who were only in small force there, had been obliged to retire before him. He had advanced farther than Lake Balkash, gaining over the Kyrgyz population on his way. Pillaging, ravaging, enrolling those who submitted, taking prisoners those who resisted, he marched from one town to another, followed by those impedimenta of oriental sovereignty which may be called his household, his wives, and his slaves, all with the cool audacity of a modern Genghis Khan. It was impossible to ascertain where he now was, how far his soldiers had marched before the news of the rebellion reached Moscow, or to what part of Siberia the Russian troops had been forced to retire. All communication was interrupted. Had the wire between Kolyvan and Tomsk been cut by Tartar scouts, or had the emir himself arrived at the Yeniseisk provinces? Was all the lower part of western Siberia in a ferment? Had the rebellion already spread to the eastern regions? No one could say. The only agent which fears neither cold nor heat, which can neither be stopped by the rigors of winter nor the heat of summer, and which flies with the rapidity of lightning, the electric current, was prevented from traversing the steppes, and it was no longer possible to warn the Grand Duke, shut up in Irkutsk, of the danger threatening him from the treason of Ivan Ogareff. A courier only could supply the place of the interrupted current. 
it would take this man some time to traverse the five thousand two hundred versts between moscow and irkutsk to pass the ranks of the rebels and invaders he must display almost superhuman courage and intelligence but with a clear head and a firm heart much can be done shall i be able to find this head and heart thought the czar end of book one chapter two